My name is Augustin Passan, and you are listening to Magnolia Tree's podcast all about ethical leadership. Together with Sabina Gromer, the founder of Magnolia Tree, we leverage our network of inspiring individuals from all walks of life to learn from their experiences about leadership. Our goal is to spark thinking on ethics and leadership one podcast episode at a time. I invite you to join me on my journey of personal growth, and I look forward to learning more about leadership alongside you. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm joined with Zainab Holmes today. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Zainab? Thank you, Augustine. Hello. Um, thank you for inviting me. I'm Zainab Holmes. Um, how I'm going to introduce myself today is probably so different from uh, <laughs> if I had done it uh, five years ago. So currently, I'm a, a secondary school teacher for economics and business but uh, I have started my career in investment banking and uh, I was a banker for uh, 20 plus years. And the last 10 years of it was in a a senior leadership position in a multinational uh, financial institution uh, where I managed a team across multiple continents um, looking after their operational and commercial business. So very, very different than today. And towards the end uh, of these 20 years, I decided that I actually want to go after what I really care about, which is working with young people and and developing them into uh, the the next generation of leaders. So uh, here I am uh, in a a secondary school uh, teaching uh, boys uh, A-level economics. Well, congratulations. Out of interest, when did you start to kind of realize that you wanted to transition from a a more typical investment banking background to working with with students? Uh, I think uh, it was, it's hard to pinpoint when exactly that was, but it was after multiple years of doing the same senior job um, and realizing that, well, the the more I knew about the markets, the economy, um, politics, life, really, (laughs) the more I knew about myself and what I liked and what I wanted to do with myself. Uh, the more I sort of uh, gradually slipped in that direction, if that makes sense. Okay. And I guess um, uh, in the end, when when I made the step, I had become aware of a charity that uh, retrained people like me in industry to become secondary school teachers. So they made the transition very, very easy. And right. uh, that was the, the the final push I really needed. No. Uh, I mean, I think that's really phenomenal because that's that's one thing that I've been very fortunate to be able to experience from just doing these interviews is I've had a lot of opportunities to talk with really experienced people who have a, a ton of knowledge um, about industry, about life, about leadership. And it, it, it makes me sad sometimes because a lot of those people, you know, they're not going to go out and publish any books. They're not going to, you know potentially train young people outside of a small firm. And I feel like it's a real opportunity lost. And that was part of the reason why I started the podcast, because I wanted to take these people who have so much experience and kind of make some of that knowledge a little bit more public. Um, so it's, it's really wonderful for me to hear you say that. And I think that's a really wonderful ambition to have to, to go and have the opportunity to, to share a really in-depth knowledge with younger people who might not otherwise get to have access to that until potentially much later in their life. So thank Mm. you. (laughs) Uh, I think it's what you said. uh, One thing you said is very true. It's, it was that desire to share and to, to be able to share on a, on a wider basis. 
Um, and we all, you know, all of us at some point think I should write a book. Uh, <laughs> I quickly realized I'm probably a better storyteller than, than uh, a writer. Uh, so I, I just wanted to find something where I have the opportunity to connect with people who are mature enough to, to go into economics and business. So right. people around 17, 18 years old, but still young enough to uh, make up their mind as to what sort of person they want to be, yeah. what kind of world they want to live in. And uh, some of the things that we have to grapple with at the moment, uh, the challenges we have, be it climate or the, the rise in inequality in, in, in the Western world and, and everywhere else, yeah. um, the, the, the rise of artificial intelligence and so on. So it's not going to be my generation who will make that better, most probably. Yeah. We all depend on good decisions that today's teenagers will have to make. No. So I thought maybe, just maybe, I can contribute a little bit to um, how they're going to think. Because to me, leadership really uh, is about how you think about things and how you formulate um, your ideas based on your own values so that people are convinced and want to follow you rather than having to because of the hierarchical position oh, you hold, right? Absolutely. And I think you targeted a, a great age range. Having recently gone through <laughs> that time period in myself, I know that's a, it's a really influential time period. And it, it's, it's a time where, you know, definitely for me, having a few good mentors, a few good teachers really change the path that I ended up going down. So I, I think you're doing a great job. Without further ado, why don't we uh, launch into a little personal question? Let me pull it up right here. So how about, so I'll ask you to pick a number between one and 26, and I have a question corresponding with that, and, and we'll have a little fun. <laughs> All right. Well, here goes. Um, 17, please. 17. Okay. What is the last project or work that made you forget time altogether? The last project uh, work related that made me yeah project or or work related. I had to cover a lesson in school with a much younger class than I'm used to teaching. So, like I said to you, I I teach people who are 17, 18. Right. And uh, one of the teachers was absent, so I had to go and cover a class of boys who are year eight so they're what 12 13 something like that oh, that's the age i teach <laughs> yeah so i had zero idea what to do with them so i started so i decided to do some economics and some business and yeah. around um ethical decision making right so we played a few games you know trolley problem and so on and then we got up and physically walked around the the room um, I tried to explain to them that good communication is important, playing some games around memory, um, around how to pass on information and so on. Right. And the, the hour that started with me dreading what to do <laughs> ended so quickly that I was, I was a bit sad. We had to yeah. stop. And I think they were sad. <laughs> so maybe I recruited a few young economists. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it was really fun. And I learned quite a lot about how they think. No, yeah, I, they're they're a lot smarter than you give them credit for. Sometimes I'm always I was always oh, impressed yeah. by that. Um, I guess that's an I, that that leads me to an interesting question. Um, you know, for that experience, you had to really distill a lot of economics or or just topics yeah. that you had to cover into one session for these students that you'd have. And kind of, I'd be interested to know, like, what did you end up coming up with as like, okay if I'm going to take one hour to make a class and this is the only opportunity I'll have to teach these kids, what are the really essential 
things that I needed to distill down and try and try and pass on in that form, uh, that short time period. Yeah, I, you know, for me, anything content related, whether it's economics or or, or English or geography or whatever we teach, right? right? At the end of the day, what we try to achieve is trying to teach the the children how to think, how right. to make good decisions, how to how to absorb information and look at the facts think for themselves and come up with a good decision out of it right yeah. so whenever um i teach anything i try to pick bits and pieces that lead the students to to think that way right. and in some respects it's also the hardest thing i've ever done right it's much much harder to do this with children than to work with adults because adults have a lot more experience <laughs> to do yeah. with with things you present to them and if if they don't at least they pretend in a polite way <laughs> with with kids you know pretty fast whether you lost them or not but when i get a class who's normally not mine and i only have an hour and i want them to take away something out of that hour i i would like them to even if they forget anything i told them i would like them to remember that it's important to listen to your own values yeah. and listen to uh the the honest voice in your own head yeah and whatever you do has to be the the right thing that feels right and that is much harder than we we think it is because all of them are now experiencing in the schoolyard what what they're going to experience in later years in in the office and anywhere else at some kind of peer pressure where you know things go in one direction and being a, a true leader is sometimes also to be able to say, I, I am not okay with where things are going. So any practice examples I put up and any, any discussion we have is always around, how did you come to this thought? What makes you argue the way you do? Um, where yeah. do you have this information from, right? Would you be able to consider this from a different perspective? Uh, is this really your opinion and are you really repeating someone else's opinion you know yeah <laughs> things like that and um yeah it depends i mean it's very hard to give you the formula of, of no i do this it's different with every class but that's kind of the gist what i want them to take away from that, that it's really it's really interesting you mentioned that because that's something that i've actually had to address with myself fairly recently is um i i am a business management concentration in university and I've, uh, a lot of my closest friends have been really influential like really intelligent analytical economics people and something that's hard for me is i m my focus of study that was just my minor but my focus of study is more cultural studies and so i find a lot of the time when i'm approaching a problem or approaching a social issue a lot of the times i think of it from a very like emotional space a very um, like culturally rooted space and sometimes it's very difficult for me to get out of that headspace and be like okay how do we approach this from yeah. a really analytical and one of that that's one one of my closest friends jacob has been a, a huge influence for that because he's always like okay why do you think that like what 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 information are you pulling like what's 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 the source on this um and <laughs> sometimes it's hard to be like no i just came up with that like it, it's 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 a little difficult to take that step back um but I think I think it's also really important to to be able to, like you said, have that critical reasoning and be able to formulate opinions and arguments based off mm -hmm. of a really a rooted, grounded spot, but not rely too heavily on, you know, past arguments or, or whatever, what, what other people have said. 
Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's important to to try and get the balance right, right? So yeah. it's uh, it's no good to think just with your head and just analyze the 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 pros and cons and go through the facts. And I think good decision making also requires a lot of emotional intelligence and emotional input where one of my earliest memories from training as a as a credit analyst in the in the bank is that my my then mentor said to me you have analyzed all the balance sheets all the profit and loss accounts of that company you've spoken to everybody you looked at all the facts read all the data and so on and everything points uh, in the direction it's a great idea to give them the money they want but something something inside you just doesn't like it yeah it's not it's not comfortable with it and follow that because there's usually a reason even if you can't tell at that at that moment at least it should give you time to pause and do it again or talk to other people about it get different perspectives right yeah um so yes we uh, we need to combine both um but it's hard because most people right. are either one or the other so i was no. like you i was a bit more emotional <laughs> um, a bit more oh i don't like this so i i tried to right. find that fitted my feelings yeah yeah exactly finding yeah. data to fit the emotion or or, or the, the gut reaction which yeah. is not it's not sometimes it's good sometimes it's it's bad but one thing i did want to ask was you know i found one of the things that you know emotional intelligence is something that's I feel like it comes up a lot um, and I'm never really sure if it's, if it's like real or not, but I guess I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, for me, it's always been something that's very rooted. Like the, like I've always had that kind of emotional drive that, you know, that drive for ethics and, and for equality and fairness. Um, but I know that's not true of everyone. And, and some, sometimes for some people, that's something they have to learn or develop through their interactions. And, how would you recommend someone kind of go about trying to build that? I know that's 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 a difficult thing to answer, but I don't know if you have a response to, or at least maybe how do you approach that in your classroom when you you see making people or students maybe in minor ways making unethical decisions, whether it be like being rude to classmates, ignoring people, that sort of thing. How do you think is the the correct way to approach that and correct that? Oh, uh, wow, big question. <laughs> um, and you know, it's uh, my, my memories from from decades of work, uh, sometimes in the, in, the, in the highest echelons of business, right? Emotional right. intelligence is actually, it's actually difficult to achieve by the look of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like you, I, I still grapple with the concept, I wouldn't I'm not sure I could explain what it is if someone asked right. me. It's something about being mindful of other people's feelings, uh, not to trample over, you know, not not to, I guess it's mindful of others' feelings. Uh, right. What would I say? It's trying to communicate in a way that doesn't offend, that doesn't antagonize people. Uh, trying to see their perspective, trying to be compassionate when something happens you don't like, trying to understand where it comes from rather than assuming the worst as in, oh, this person doesn't want right. to cooperate with me, right? And uh, teenagers are uh, very extreme in in their <laughs> in their views, so they I are right. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> <Wrong>. <laughs> 
I mean, we all remember how we were. Um, yeah. I missed the times I knew everything. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's the scary uh, part of getting older. You realize you don't know anything at all. What's that? Um, that exactly. That was the most painful part of it. But I, I do really envy them. Uh, my students, they, they're so convinced they know how it is. Yeah. <laughs> so you're right. Uh, and I, sorry, I'm right. You're wrong. Um, or this is okay. This is not okay. It's all right. black and white. Yeah. Um, and in, in that process, of course, sometimes the communication, especially if it's something they really care about, gets a bit heated. Yeah. So, uh, the arguments become... Oh, that's more... never happened to me before. <laughs> never, ever. No, no, never. I never, ever did any of this no, myself. I was always perfect in self-control. <laughs> so uh, the, the way to approach this, I guess, is um, a mixture of clear rules that you just yeah. cannot do certain things that you can't talk over people, you shouldn't raise your voice, you have to consider the argument and so on. There's inevitably, there has to be some of that. But I guess the power of the argument helps as well. So very often young people, when they're exposed to different views to their own, um, if you persist long enough, they'll actually think about it. Yeah. And that's what makes them so much more interesting to work with for me than adults. Yeah because they're not yet totally convinced this is it. I mean, they are for the time being, right. not as set in their ways as many adults I yeah. met. And you can't get through to those guys anymore because, you know. It's, no, it's such an important quality to have just throughout your entire life is being open to just admitting you're wrong or, or acknowledging like a, a fault in your logic or something like that. For me, when I'm dealing with like conflict or conflict resolution, the most difficult thing to approach is someone who's just like not willing to engage at all in like any sort of debate or any sort of, mm. and it's hard, it's hard to approach. I think that's like, you know, not to blow it out into like a huge thing, but I think that's a real problem right now, just in, in society in general, especially in the US, oh, yeah. there's a lot of issues of, you know, there's people with very firm opinions on both sides um, mm. who just are not willing to to have a conversation or, or you know kind of try and find a common ground. To turn it into a question, how do you how do you promote that in your classroom? How do you how do you promote that kind of discussion and that that openness to debate? Well, you know, I I, I tried to use very valuable learning I had during my teacher training where. Um, before you can start teaching, you have to actually face a few things about yourself, which you never thought before, which came, came, came as a surprise to me, because I thought teaching was about, you know, getting in front of young people and uh, telling them what you know, and sharing <laughs> your experience. And uh, it turns out that actually, no, it's, it's just like leadership in a, in a, in a business context, you also lead very much with how you are and who you are and yeah. that's something they're much more interested in and pick up almost by osmosis um, and they pay attention to as much as to the words you say so during my teacher training I had um, issues with a couple of children in a class who behaved really badly and I just didn't know how to deal with them yeah oh these people and they're so rude and you know they don't want to learn and <laughs> So my my uh, trainer, my tutor at the time, sat me down and said, look, you just need to uh, use the same things that you used before in business. It's the same thing. You just have to differentiate the child from the behavior they're displaying. And you need to work with the behavior and repeat to the child as much as yourself. This is not who they are, but this is what they do. 
Yeah. Um, and I guess in, in these debates, what I try to show the, the students through my behavior and also through explicit teaching is just because somebody doesn't agree with you doesn't make them a bad person or an unacceptable person. Yeah. There are not tribes on the one side of the debate and the other side of the debate, and you're either all for it or right. against it. No, right? absolutely. In, in fact, I mean, a lot of civilized uh, development, <laughs> the, the only reason we've come this far as a society is through engaging in in reasonable debate where you just need to be able to listen to someone else's viewpoint and, yeah. and be able to change your mind if you learn something. Um, but it's um, the, the first challenge is I have to do that myself and they have to see me doing, doing it before I can convince them. No, no, but th that's a really hard thing to do because, you know, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I definitely, you know, when I'm, when I'm interacting people, it's hard to always model that perfect behavior. And it, I guess, do you have any sort of grounding rituals or something maybe before you, you come into the classroom and kind of be like, okay, need to, to put aside whatever I've done for the past day or like whatever feelings I have outside the classroom and just try and try and put put on this to be the the model the the leader that I, I need to be you know I've, I found that the most effective way of being a, a good teacher um, is to to be as authentic as possible so if I do have some stored up negative feelings of some sort that day I actually try not to leave them outside the classroom because yeah. that's this part of me that's how it is and right. also they they realize very quickly when I'm putting on an act. So I yeah. work. Um, I found that honest communication is sometimes the best policy. So if if we are going into a, a, a heated debate of some sort, which is going the wrong way, I I sometimes openly tell them, look, you know, I've heard so much of this today. You know, I don't have any more patience. <laughs> <laughs> Just, you know, just so you know, because it's hard. It's hard to 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 listen to whichever thing is going on without getting really upset about it. And I find that this type of this type of openness, vulnerability, I don't know what you want to call no, it, yeah. goes a lot further than trying to pretend to be the serene person who's just not flap, not not phased by anything. Right. But, uh, I, I tried to to use that strategy in earlier years of teaching where I yeah. just went to it and I thought, well, I'm just, you know, I have to be perfect and I have to be always in control and I have to, uh, they can't ever see that I'm angry or, or frustrated or whatever. And no. it doesn't work. They they know, um, they always yeah. know, and they don't trust the person, which is, which is then the one outcome that I, I don't want because I want above everything else, I want the students to trust me and to know I care. Um, so yes, um, I try to, so back to your question, what do I do before a, a lesson? I actually uh, try to focus on how much I look forward to seeing the students because they are wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. when I think about them and think about they're going to be in my room in about five minutes, um, a lot of whatever negativity was going on recedes and I'm wide open to the next group <laughs> of people, whatever they want to show me that day. Um, and it's always, always a good experience, even the hard lessons.
Yeah. What, what, what are some of the hardest things that you've had to deal with in a classroom? Because I've, I've had some bad experiences and I, I've fortunately always had uh, mentors when I'm being a teacher assistant that I can turn to. But I, I assume now you're, you're a little bit more on your own with maybe yeah. a little bit less of the support network. What's some, some of the hardest things that you've had to deal with in the, question, uh, in the classroom and how did you come to a solution or, or on your own maybe? Or maybe not on your own. Um, yeah, sometimes I and sometimes I seek help. Still, I, I ask a more experienced colleague what what they would think about a particular situation. Um, it gets less and less, but I think um, part of really good teaching is also to be a team, right, where people yeah. exchange their their experience and, and help each other. You know, the the hard experiences in the classroom sort of evolve. Uh, uh, over time um and the uh i have become coming back to uh being aware of your shortcomings right when i first got into teaching my main problem was how to control a class of teenagers yeah uh, and uh make sure that they are not all over the place and learn something from me um so the hard lessons were where where people were not focused or uh, just showed no interest in what yeah. I had to say, and it was <laughs> really frustrating. And that had very much to do with me doing things wrong, right? You know, but not not making the lesson too boring, or not knowing how to, not knowing some of the skills, how to control the classroom. Um, Back to my earlier point, I wasn't authentic enough. I was just trying to put on a face. I tried to be someone I wasn't, and they didn't like yeah. it. But they didn't trust me, um, and all of that. So I got a lot of help with that during the training year, um, and then afterwards, as I became more experienced, the hard lessons changed. Um, so today, for example, it's about I really want to teach something really complex and I get the feeling that I didn't do a good enough job properly yeah because that's a very difficult thing to master as well just because I understand something (laughs) I'm going to be any good at explaining it to someone who's never heard it before trust me you're not you're not lost anywhere I have so many college and university professors who are the exact same way who they just they think that just reading the block of text from the textbook is <laughs> enough to, oh, no. to, to convey all the knowledge that we might need to use. Um, and that's just not the case. But, uh, you know, one, one point uh, I wanted to go back to because I, I thought that was really valuable and, and you changed my perspective on it, like the, the authenticity in the classroom. And you made me recognize a lot of the best interactions I've had with any sort of teacher have been ones where they, they are very authentic and they humanize themselves to the students and, um, you know, approach it with a more, I mean, you have to maintain that, that position of control, but a more like build, they, they really have tried to make a relationship with the students that they have. Um, mm. And um, so I guess what was it in your experience, how has being a leader in a classroom differed from being a leader of a more business oriented team? And I guess, what did you, which one do you find harder or what aspects of each do you find harder? <laughs> um, yeah. and, and what are the, the positives of each, you know? Hmm. Uh, great question. A lot of <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about this uh, m- myself. Uh, I guess if we start with what's very similar, it is, I think, good leadership 
is always about trust, about honesty, authenticity, integrity, good relationships. Yeah. Uh, people believing you actually really care about them. Um, and if these building blocks are in place, it's much harder. Sorry, it's it's much easier to uh, convince people to follow the path that you've chosen for for the organization or the right. team. Right. Because at the end of the day, nobody has to do what you say just because you're the boss. Um, if if they don't believe in the, what 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 you've um, outlined, um, if they don't believe in the strategy, they won't execute it very well. Right. Um, so, so that is the same. Um, it's just that teenagers are a lot more vocal about the things they disagree with, <laughs> more transparent about the stuff that they don't that, that they don't subscribe to. Yeah. Um, and the good relationships. I mean, with um, you know, uh, in the classroom, I I remember things turning around uh, in a particular lesson when I was trying to make the. I was trying to connect my computer to the board to show them something, and I'm not very good at that thing. Yeah. And the, in the first row, a couple of boys were laughing at me, <laughs> as, as teenagers do. And, and there's nothing more entertaining than the teacher sweating away and the yeah. lesson getting by, and you know. <laughs> and at some point, I just said, "Listen, I don't know how to do this. Instead of laughing at me, why don't you come here and help?" Right. Yeah. And I think they they quite appreciated that yeah. <laughs> the fact that somebody, uh, the the person who's supposedly uh, telling them what to do, saying I don't know how to do this, you help me, you're the expert. So we had a good laugh, and after okay. that, uh, everything was I'm everything so, was much easier. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that because I think some of the most frustrating experiences I have in a classroom is a teacher who just sits at the front for like 15 minutes and cannot figure it out and refuses to like receive any help and just trying to figure it out on their own. Um, no, that, but, that so I'm glad that you don't do that. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, so these are, I guess, the, the similarities that to you know, the uh, in in my previous job, it was it was similar, and I, I always tried to lead by painting a picture of the future, the the future I wanted to achieve as a team, and I I I just shared that vision and that belief, and I shared how I saw everybody's role in it in a, in a as positive way as possible, um, and with my students, it's the same. The main difference is being. The maturity is not there, obviously. So right. the uh, they need a slightly different way of um, being explained what we are trying to do there, and it may it may feel a bit patronizing at first to yeah. sometimes explain things. We think um, they, I I don't want to infantilize them, but it's not like that at all because uh, we shouldn't forget they never heard these things before, right? So they need a lot more help than adults in yeah. listening to a plan. The second is um, the perspective that we already discussed. So they are they struggle. Teenagers struggle to see someone else's perspective. Uh, they find it really hard to go along with things they don't like. Um, so the good relationships and the authenticity and the trust really help there. So right. once they trust me and they know I want their best, uh, they 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 accept it. Even if they don't like what's happening, they accept it's for the best. Yeah. Um, and the third main thing I think is you—you you can't fire uh, your students. <laughs> so, 
So I'm, I'm not advocating that this should be the, the solution to problems in, in, in a business team. Absolutely not. But there is literally no way of, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, I do this, or you know, you're out of here. So, you sometimes wish you could buy some of your students. Yes, it may happen, but at, at the same time, though, it is the one thing that made me so much better as a teacher and a leader because yeah. it, it isn't working. You have to find a way to make it work. Yeah, and no. Come back the next day and try again. Yeah. If it still doesn't work, you have to try again. You ask people for help. You try again. The, the student is coming back every day to your lesson at a set time. There is yeah. absolutely no way <laughs> that any of you can escape from it. So the only way to make this better is to make it work. Yeah, no. It, you know, that kind of um, leads into one thing I was kind of thinking about too. How, how long have you been a, a teacher at this point? uh 2018 so three years three years so you've gone through your first group of a levels then right because i believe a levels is two years right yes a levels is two years so uh, last year i had my first group graduate so i'd be interested to know kind of maybe may, you've had your first experience with it but i imagine if you continue teaching you'll you'll see it a lot more that's another difference that i kind of immediately came to mind the difference between students and, and a, a team in a business setting is mm. a lot of the times in a business setting you have like a, a long timeline and you can slowly introduce new people and, and, and older people fade out but you kind of have familiar faces whereas with students you have a hard deadline at the end of the two years everyone's gone and you got to completely restart with a brand new team I, I imagine that's really difficult but how do you kind of approach that or you know do you feel is that kind of refreshing that you get to completely start a new team what are the, what are the stress points you know I guess uh, one challenge is that we are aware that time is limited. So the first day they come to class, uh, we are already going at full speed because we have to teach them the content, but also teach them all, all the bits about being a, a fully rounded, kind person, fully functioning in a society where things yeah. are quite challenging, right? And two years is not a long time. And in these two years, they also have extreme exam pressure. Um, so they, uh, starting in year 12 already, where they have to get good grades, for those good <laughs> grades. and you know, uh, you, you know all this, we, we all yeah. remember that we had to apply to uni and you know, you have to achieve a certain predicted grade to be able to, to be accepted. Yeah go then you have the stress of actually having to Achieve produce it, that grade yeah. and all the rest of it that's required depending on where you're going um and there's a lot of support that they need and i find that that it is difficult because uh i i get quite involved in it so i i get very ambitious on their behalf right i get to know them better uh, they they mean a lot to me in terms of a, a professional team that I want to make better, but also as individuals who I get to know and like and uh, and spend a lot of time with. Um, so when they leave at the end, hopefully with, yeah. with grades and into a happy university life, it's, um, it's really, really hard to let them go. Yeah. Um, and I had underestimated how much um, I'd get attached to the people in right. the room. Yeah. Um, uh, I, and I had completely underestimated what it's like when they're not there anymore. But yeah. thankfully, you know, there's a there's a new class of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it all starts again um, and goes through the same two years again. I don't know quite how to 
deal with that other than giving it my best and, yeah. uh, and just just make sure that every minute we spend together really counts counts for their success and counts yeah. for their development uh from from young adults into older adults and yeah. uh and yeah and if they're happy at the end then i'm happy it's interesting too because you know it's such a different time frame for you versus the students because I feel like as an adult the two years and, and this was my experience as a young person going through a levels or going I did IB but same same difference um, those two years felt like an eternity they felt like they'd <laughs> never end they just kept dragging on and on and on and then all of a sudden it all ends and you're gone and it's kind of it's very abrupt but I feel like for you the time frame is is very different it feels probably more condensed um relative i spoke very much from my perspective right so if you if you spoke to my students they'd probably say that year 12 <laughs> gone for about five years yeah <laughs> and uh, every lesson feels endless if you have to learn all these complicated concepts and draw these graphs and answer these questions where you have right. to argue for and against and all the all the rest of it um and and of course let's not forget the parents right so the stakeholders in this, <laughs> in, this uh, in this business are also you know the, the the success of the student very much depends on support from all sides not just the teacher right. but also the parents so we are pretty much a team and um, i really enjoy working with their parents as well yeah and sometimes you know uh getting the parents support uh, for yeah. uh, teaming up, coming up with things that they may not like as much. Right. You know, that's that's one thing, now that you brought it up, I'm kind of wondering about that. How do you, because it's a really, it's, it's a great comparison to have that, like the parents are at the end of the day, the stakeholders, and you have your parent-teacher conferences, your annual stakeholder share meetings or whatever. <laughs> um, and how do you kind of differentiate? Because at the end of the day, you you are in control and it's your decision how you want to lead the classroom. And how do you, you know, taper expectations or, you know, I also went to, I think we were planning to talk about this a little bit, but I also went to a, a similar school to the one that you taught in when I was in high school. And for me, the parents were very vocal and applied a lot of pressure to the, the teachers at times when they felt mm -hmm. like they were not doing a good job. And how do you deal with that, especially when, you know, like we talked earlier, you have that authenticity or you know that what you're doing is the right yeah. thing. Yeah. How do you try and bring the, teach, the the parents on board with that? Sure. Well, you know, it's fair enough, by the way. It's, if it's my child and yeah. I, I am not entirely clear what's going on or I, I uh, disagree with something, of course, I'm going to go and speak with the people just to get a better understanding. Uh, so to me, it's very much an extension of the strategy I have with the students, right? As much transparency as possible. Um, and I feel that the the more things are clear at the beginning, the less problems we get afterwards. So I spent a lot of time in September setting out the classroom rules for right. the students. Um, so there are things that I don't tolerate at all. And there are things that uh, over time may get bent a little bit. And I won't <laughs> tell you what these things are. Otherwise, they will listen to the podcast and start <laughs> boundaries quite early on. <laughs> But uh, as they get older, they also get more privileges. Right? So the things are a bit different in year 13 than they are maybe in, in year 12. Right. So at first, 
I'm very, very clear of what my expectations are, how it's going to work, um, how the work is going to be set out. Um, and I communicate this also directly to the parents because I want their input early on, right? So at the uh, early in the year, I try to connect with all of the parents of every child, or every, they're not children anymore, are they? <laughs> all the young <laughs> my class. Okay. I still uh, refer to myself as a child, so <laughs> I'm 23. Well, so. You know, legally they may be, but they're really young men. Uh, and um, yeah, get, get the parents' input. Uh, and it's really valuable also to to get the perspective from home life and some of the expectation of the parents. And it's very valuable to bake that into the teaching process. So yeah. as time goes on, I find that working together is, is really effective um, so that if there are some unwilling customers who won't do their homework, for example, <laughs> know that I'm going to be on the phone to my teammates uh, within oh, the uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> that is, uh, some motivation <laughs> but oh. to be fair i i didn't really have any um touch wood i mean i i think the the process works quite well uh, along transparency and involving people into what you're trying to achieve and um the parents are pretty much like the 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 boys they um they when once they see that all I care about is the success and the happiness and the high grades um, and uh, yeah, all these things. Uh, and they trust that this is what we're working towards. Then uh, uh, the rest is just uh, support uh, to, to achieve this together. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to launch into a little bit of a story here and let me know if I'm projecting onto your classroom a little bit. Um, but I went to a very privileged high school as well um, mm. in China. And that had a lot of very, you know, wealthy, very affluential students um, from really impressive family backgrounds. And one of the things that I noticed, and I think perhaps this might've had to do a little bit with the, the family dynamics in, in Chinese society as well, was that a lot of the times the parents would have really extreme expectations of what the students should accomplish and what they need to be accomplishing. And as a result, um, there was immense pressure and stress on the students to achieve those goals. Um, and in some ways that was good because they were really motivated and scared. They were scared in a lot of the senses in order to achieve. And a lot of their you know, there was a lot of incentives attached to that, whether it be like, you know, your allowance, your money that you, you, you receive is going to be directly mm -hmm. tied to like your achievement in, in the class setting. But the downside of that was it felt very much damaging to the parent-child relationship, those really high expectations. And, and I think that's difficult because a lot of their parents came from really successful backgrounds. They worked really hard and achieved very well. But sometimes it's hard to see when your child is not achieving that. And I guess I'm saying that I don't have any children, so I don't have any experience with that. But that's just what I saw. And how do you, I don't know if you have had any experience with that, but how do you deal with, you know, having that really intense pressure from a parent and it being unhealthy for a student, you see the student really struggling underneath that. And I guess this is presuming that you have seen that type of behavior before. Mm. Well, I mean, the the reality is we, we live in a really difficult time, right? So yeah. the, some of the competitive pressures of the workplace that these guys are going to go into are nothing yeah. like what I experienced. 
um, in, in, in my happy younger days. And, yeah. and I, I just realize it just dawns on me slowly how benign the late 90s and the early noughties were compared to today where, you know, the, the economy, be it the economy or, uh, you know, the, the, the pressures, how to, how to get these grades, the number of people competing for the same uni places, the right. number of people competing for the same workplaces, et cetera, et cetera. So I think uh, families are aware of this and that's a good thing. I think go, going into this challenge uh, with, with open eyes is, is a good thing. And every family has its own way to, to deal with it. Right. Um, but to me, I mean, the one should also not forget the parents are just the support act in yeah. the in the main play. <laughs> so it's really all about the, the the student, all about the boys. And the question is how to support this individual child, uh, this individual young man as as best as possible. And the uh, school system is geared around that support. So that's subject teaching, but we also have a, a very strong pastoral care. Mm -hmm. um, and they do get coached uh, and they do get supported in dealing with anxieties. They do get uh, help in how to approach situations where they feel perhaps overwhelmed with pressure sometimes, wherever this pressure is coming from. Um, and the, the teaching is, I mean, at least I try to combine my pastoral role and my teaching role in a way. I also try to guide them to, to approach press, press, uh, sorry, uh, pressurizing situations in a constructive way. Yeah. I remember how I, how I learned from a, a wonderful teacher in my secondary school um, who gave me help with exam anxiety and he was so good at it uh, that I that, that that became one of my greatest strengths you know, for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Just being good at tests and being good at exams, being good at job interviews and so on. And you know, of all, he did many different things. But one of the things he said to me, I'll I'll never forget, is he said, "Well, look, that that hour you have to write your exam will pass." either way right you'll be there <laughs> and the hour will tick away whatever you do so you might as well make it work as best as possible for you by focusing on the task rather than focusing on how afraid you are right that was my individual situation right this is not this is not universal guidance for every student i mean you just have to provide the support that's needed at the time and i feel that once we have identified what that individual student needs, everything else just is geared around it um, and has to work towards doing the best, the, the, the doing the best for that individual young man. Right. And I'm always going to be the first person to argue that if need be. But it's, uh, it's actually a very uh, convincing story. So I never had any... Um, I did not have to argue very much because it uh, it was quite obvious that what whatever was being done was done um, to to achieve the best for that individual person. Right. One last question I did want to ask was, you know, if you were to go back to industry, I'm not saying you're going to go back in the industry, but what would what would be the kind of key takeaways that you have from being a teacher, and how would you apply those to a more business setting? I think. Teaching is 
really valuable in 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 two things really one is the the art of storytelling so how to how to make uh something more interesting for other people right so the basically uh, the the difference between an algorithm that teaches people online and the real teacher is the real teacher is somebody who engages people into wanting to learn something they originally don't want to learn by themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Let's put it this way. Even if it's a subject they're they're interested in, it's hard to keep someone's focus and attention if if it's just a machine. And I think we have some experience of this in the pandemic um, where I had to do some of my uh, professional learning with online courses and it's not the same as having a person in front That's of you who it just makes it a lot more interesting and a lot more if they do it right they make it right. more interesting and make it more more human so storytelling I think is um, is a skill that that is really really important in in business and and it's something that teaching um forces you to get better at because yeah. unless you're good at storytelling it's just not not going to work and i i think it's also useful in 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 the pastoral side of things so when i communicate with the boys about how i want them to think about stuff or how I behave in certain ways i i, I kind of paint, paint a picture of their future selves Right. I try to be very clear what kind of people I see in front of me, the, the people they're going to be. Um, and I feel that works reasonably well in people trying to fill these gaps. Right. And it's easier for them to fill the gaps. Once they see the clear picture, it's easier to fill the gaps. To, no, yeah. Setting yeah. clear expectations. And- exactly. Exactly mm-hmm. right. And the other thing is what uh, one of my uh, one of my bosses told me in the past, a very senior executive in, in, in one of the companies. He said, um, uh, being an being a executive leader in a company is very much like teaching teachers how to teach the next <laughs> And he was talking about strategy. So the strategy that gets decided in a boardroom with an executive management and so on. So it's very clear to these people, right, what they want to achieve. Yeah. And they know exactly what they want to do uh, in, in, in five years time. And they know exactly what steps they want to take in two years time to get there and how to distill this down and so on. Um, and then they communicate it to the next level of management. Right? Yeah. And then guys need to understand these these people need to understand as well as the the the, the first layer, right? Um, and then these men and women need to translate it, so to speak, right. their teams and so on. And so it distills down the organization. Yeah. And unless the unless you're really good at teaching, I feel um, this the, the the story the the plan is going to get diluted as it goes through the layers and often my experience was in any organization right if you asked junior people what what is the strategy what are the three priorities this company wants to achieve for example yeah. you, you might not get an answer or you might get very different answers yeah. a vague idea but not not really right no so i think that if um it's unlikely that i <laughs> i find myself in that situation again but never say never um i think i would be a lot better than i was in painting that picture so clearly to the next level so that they could have a much better time 
um, explaining it to their teams and they could have a better time explaining it and so right. on. Which is in and of itself a form of storytelling, I would say. Having indeed. A, a clear... indeed, yes. But it's also teaching because the, yeah. uh, the, the achievements that the company wants, the, the things that the company wants to achieve um, is, is not necessarily something everyone's going to be familiar with, right? There are different departments in, in, in that place. And it's very much about trying to understand other departments' priorities, other departments' business, the competitors' business, the environment, and, and get a... Uh, and if somebody is is able to distill these things down to you in your language and translate it into the things you care about, yeah. you're going to be a much better manager in explaining it to your team. And they're going to be much better in making decisions on a daily basis that supports the common goal. No, absolutely. Well, thank you, Zainab, so much for your time. I really appreciate you coming here. Right before we leave, the last thing I want to do is I want to ask you one more personal question just for fun. So once again, I'll ask you to pick a number between 1 to 26. Uh, 12. Number 12. Okay. Uh, who is the best boss you've ever had and who is the worst? That, that ties in nicely to the previous question. <laughs> Who's the best boss that I've had? Who's the worst? Um... Oh, tricky. I had many good bosses. Um, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> no, I, I did. I, I also had a, a number of bad bosses. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, this, I am not saying this because I, I, I work there at the moment. So I'm going to say I'm going to tell you the number two as well. Just, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just to be very clear. So my current boss, the, the head of economics um, and business in my school, he, he really is wonderful. So yeah. he is a, a super knowledgeable, but also super kind person who is very respectful, very open. Um, and we just work really well together. Right. And I feel very supported um, and also the wider team. So he's um, so he is probably... Um, it may not be a fair assessment because <laughs> you need to make sure he listens like to this to, podcast yeah, <laughs> like where I went to, because that was my real interest. <laughs> so maybe it's not a fair comparison, right? So he's, of course, uh, um, there's that, but yeah. Um, and other than him, I would say it was my, the previous boss I had in, in, uh, just before I left, um, I'm not sure I should name people in this podcast. <laughs> No, I'm talking about him. So I reported to him for four years yeah. um, in my in my previous job before I, I joined um, teaching. And uh, he was the regional head um, and I was one of the country managers. Um, and for many, many years, I mean, he was just the best in, in uh, inspiring people, uh, good communication. He he made me feel like my work really mattered. Mm -hmm. So I was motivated to work even harder. He was really good at talking to you in a way that gave you even better ideas. Right. So he never said, I want this done, so go and do it. So he was more somebody who coached you into thinking the right way, right. being really, really, uh, on the job and really coming up with great ideas yourself. And uh, he also rejected quite a few of those. I mean, it's not to say that he, he was receptive of everything I came up with, but I feel like for, for these uh, four, four years, I think I reported into him, I learned a lot, lot. Um, so I do miss 
that interaction sometimes. Um, and the worst boss, well, I guess the best thing is to say no comment, but uh, <laughs> let me just say it was, uh, it, it, these are also experiences that are valuable, right? So right. I took away a lot from these um, types of situations where I either learned how not to do things <laughs> or uh, how to, you know, package these things into my lessons so that um, I can maybe encourage a young person <laughs> not, not to do what he did. <laughs> not any names, obviously, and they'll yeah. never know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Yes, so there we well, are. <laughs> thank you once again so much for, for joining me on the podcast. Um, at yes. the end, I always like to give uh, an opportunity for you to name any projects, a book, a your own podcast that you might be working on. Is there anything you'd like um, listeners to maybe know about that's coming up in the future? Uh, I am. I mean, working in a school, right? Is There's not a lot <laughs> of grand publications we come up yeah, with right. for the outside world, but... Um, I will uh, probably write uh, very soon about uh, some of the work we're doing uh, in the school with um, with the boys around uh, leadership, um, about anti-sexism, about yeah. uh, how to be caring leaders and so on. So very much along the lines of what we discussed. Um, so yeah, um, once uh, I have send some... it along when you finish, when you get I around will. to writing it, please send it. I will. Thank you. I'll be your first reader. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to the Inspiring Brave Leaders podcast by Magnolia Tree. This is Daliana Eliesh the editor of the podcast. Feel free to reach us or visit our website for more bursts of inspiration around leadership. You can find a link for our website and our social media platforms in our bio. Thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm.